What's up, everybody? My name is Joshua T. Berglund, and this is my amazing wife, Jessica Lynn. Hi, everyone. Today is a very, very special day uh, for, well, I don't know how much, <laughs> it's a special day for us, but we actually feel that more, more importantly, it's a special day uh, for you all. Um, today is the very first Grace Unfiltered. Yay! This is exciting. We finally have gotten all the pieces together. And we get to give the platform to you. I am so grateful that uh, my wife is strong in her convictions and believes in her visions because if if she wasn't, we wouldn't be here today. Um, but I am so excited because not only is this first story going to just blow your mind uh, and inspire you and move you, um, you know, we are honored because she's a friend of ours. Uh, she's somebody that came into our life just a few months ago but already has had such a huge impact on our lives, uh, has become a friend. Uh, yeah, we haven't met in person, but truly has become a friend. Just so many just powerful conversations. And um, we are just honored that she has agreed to be a part of this. Mm -hmm. And uh, we believe that this is gonna be a blessing for you. Amen. I can't wait to hear it. All right, folks, so here's the deal. Um, we're gonna play our introduction video and then we will bring on our guests, but you guys are gonna listen. Um, Feel free to comment along. Feel free to share with friends, and um, and I and we just pray that uh, the Lord opens your heart, open and <laughs> opens your ears, and uh, and maybe even helps you see some new perspectives. So, with that said, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back. everybody and oh just just so you know we are on the live mono worldwide multimedia broadcast network we are the founders of the live mono worldwide foundation uh this is our network you can actually find us on the roku app by searching for the live mono worldwide multimedia uh, broadcast network or download the e360 app on your smart tvs you'll be able to find us there and of course this will be on every podcast platform you can find we're all over the place, but so we want to thank you for your support and thank you for supporting our foundation. Um, this is a this vision came to us two years ago, and um, and I, I I'm a firm believer that the visions that God gives you is God showing you what's possible. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're going to get it right away, but this two years of waiting has felt like ten years. But it is an absolute honor for us to introduce to you the very first host of Grace Unfiltered, our friend, the one, the only, the amazing Brenda Cayley. Ladies Yay! and gentlemen, Brenda, Brenda, Brenda. Hello, Brenda, Hi, how Brenda! are you? Hi, Joshua and Jessica. Thank you so much for that sweet introduction. I feel the same. Uh, oh, we, we love you. Yeah, we absolutely do. Uh, we are so excited to be a part of this. So we're not gonna take up any more of your time, but we, um, we're about to give the floor to you. But with that said, I'm going to pray. Is that okay? Sure. All right. Heavenly Father, I, I just want to say thank you so much uh, for one, Brenda getting to be the first one to do this. But one, you making this vision come to reality. Lord, I pray that uh, this is truly <laughs> the way that we get to redefine church and give glory to you all the same. Uh, Lord, our heart is pure for this. And I ask that you not only speak through Brenda in a powerful way, but you give her courage to say and go places that maybe she's never gone before. But speak through her and give the audience the ears to hear 
and 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 so that they can be whether it's have their perspective change, they can hear and learn about your heart, Lord, but also so they can learn not just about your power, but your amazing grace. We love you, Lord, and thank you for this opportunity. We, we surrender this broadcast to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brenda, God bless you, sister. It's on. We'll see you soon. I've been feeling like I've spent my whole life trying to get my life together. And what do you do when you've committed your life to God from childhood, but still your godly plans go all haywire? How do you keep a good attitude and keep hope alive? Uh, a lot of people have, you know, a lot of central life feelings about the scripture in Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to help you and not to hurt you, plans to give you hope and a future. And then you will come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I meditated on that scripture a lot in my teens and 20s and was really asking God, what does it mean? to seek God with all my heart. It just seemed like there was more to that. And a couple years ago, I found this beautiful ceramic plate with the first line of this verse on it. For I know the plans I have for you. And I love the plate. And I had it beautifully displayed on one of those plate holders, like a tripod. And one day I went to dust it and it broke in two. And I was so upset. And then it hit me. Maybe this was a lesson from God. Because this really represents a lot of the lessons of my life. That I had my plans all together and they were godly and they were good. And they just fell apart. It just wasn't what I envisioned. So my life's theme has centered around God and romance. I accepted Jesus when I was four. And every night my parents would pray with me. And I asked Jesus to come into my heart. And of course, I didn't fully understand it then. but. Then again, we spend our whole lives trying to understand the Bible and understand God and our relationship with him. At age 16, I heard a really powerful sermon about how God mixes us like, like a goldsmith refines gold. And he heats the fire as hot as it will go without ruining the gold and melts it down. And then he pours in something called flux that is like an abrasive that brings the impurities to the surface and scrapes them off the surface. And that day in church, I prayed that God would refine me no matter how hot the fire got and no matter how painful it became. More than anything on earth, I wanted to be a wife and a mother. Ever since I can remember, I grew up on fairy tales and all the beautiful romantic songs and Cinderella and all the, all the desires of my heart just centered around God and that just being a wife and a mother. And I thought it would just happen, but I only had two dates in my teens. And then I was going into my twenties and while other women were marrying and dating and having their first babies, I was crying myself to sleep at night. And my mom would hear me crying in my bedroom and say, well, Brenda, God must be saving you for a very special man. And I screamed while I was crying. He better be a pretty darn special man because this is a whole lot to go through. And so I went to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 
after I graduated from high school in 1981. And I changed my major several times because I had a lot of interests. I started out with TV broadcasting and then I switched to elementary education. And then I switched to um, psychology. And then after two and a half years, I ran out of money and I went home in December of 1984. And it was a huge disappointment. Um, you know, life went on and I was just continuing to really desire to be a wife. And I came across a book that said, rather than looking for a husband, become the kind of woman that you would like your husband to be, you know, the be that kind of person. And at the same time, I came across a book called Fit for Life by Harvey and Marilyn Diamond, and it became my nutrition Bible. And it talked about losing weight by eating mostly fruits and vegetables. So I had 90 pounds to lose. And, you know, I continued my spiritual walk and I worked on losing weight by eating mostly fruits and vegetables. And after a lot of hard work, walking, jogging, and eating fruits and vegetables, I lost 90 pounds over a three-year period. In um, 1988, I became involved in the pro-life movement. And my first rescue was in July of 1988 in Paoli, Pennsylvania. And we sat literally on the hot parking lot of this abortion clinic with about 500 other Christians. And in effect, we were, we were blocking the path between a killer, a so-called doctor and his intended victims, unborn children. And so we didn't just call it a protest. We called it a rescue because at every rescue, at least one unborn child was saved because while we were there, um, sidewalk counselors would talk to pregnant mothers who were coming for their appointments and at least one mother at every rescue chose to give her child life. So while I was sitting there waiting to be arrested, we were singing, here am I Lord, is it, is it I Lord? I have heard you calling in the night. I will go, Lord, if you lead me. I will hold your people in my heart. And at that moment, I, I closed my eyes and I just had a deep moment with God's spirit in my spirit. And I said, Lord, here are my hands. What do you want them to do? Here are my lips. What do you want them to say? Here are my feet. Where do you want them to go? And at that moment, I believe God called me to full-time ministry. We were typically charged with trespass or disorderly conduct. And I was involved in rescues all over Pennsylvania in York, Harrisburg, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh. And then I even went to Cherry Hill, New Jersey, New York City, Binghamton, New York, and even twice to Atlanta, Georgia to save babies. And my friends nicknamed me Slenda Brenda, the child defender, because I was losing weight and saving babies. And I was I was proud of that nickname. I liked it. So I was 25 years old and being locked up as a country girl was pretty traumatic for me. It was just a shock. It was a whole different world that I had never seen. And I was locked up while well, I was arrested over 40 times. And I was locked up nine times for periods of two weeks or less. And I gradually developed a heart for prison ministry. And I started praying that God would lead me to an inmate to correspond with. I just 
wanted to be a bright place in a in a dark, ugly world. So when I spent three days in jail in Binghamton, New York, a uh, few of the men heard the pro-life women singing through the walls. And one of them sent a note over through a guard asking for someone to correspond with him. And I had originally been praying for a woman to correspond with, but his note struck me with such sincerity and despair. And I just felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit that that was the man I should correspond with. So um, I, I went up to visit him about a month later. And on my way home, just out of the blue, I heard this soft voice in my mind that was just alien to my own thoughts saying, you know, you'd have a very devoted husband if you could just wait another 10 years. This man, Aaron, was just starting a minimum mandatory 10-year sentence. And I... You know, I was shocked at the thought. I was like, no, uh, no way, no way, no way. I worked so hard to lose the weight and to be ready to be a wife. And I was sweet 25 and not only never been kissed, but never even had a boyfriend. And I had explained to him from the start that it was just going to be a platonic friendship. And he said he understood and he agreed. So throughout this time, I was reading 10 chapters a day in the Bible. And I started just really asking God as I read, you know, do you are, are these feelings from you? I'm developing feelings for this man. And we're, we're not talking about a man in ministry. We're talking about a man in prison. We're talking about a man who was a skinhead. He was anti-Semitic. He was prejudiced against blacks. He, he was actually a fan of Hitler, and it was a shock to me, you know, his beliefs. But yet I knew that, you know, God had called us to love everybody, that he had died for everybody. So I just continued to share God's love for him. But it just seemed very unreasonable and downright foolish that I would develop any kind of relationship with this man, Aaron. And I was like, how do I find an answer to something like that in the scripture? I mean, obviously, it, it's it's not it's not from God. How can that be from God? You know, it says in the Bible, don't be unequally yoked. So I kept trying to put the thought out of my mind. But every time I turned around, you know, doing something completely unrelated to that, I would hear it again. You know, you'd have a very devoted husband if you could just wait another 10 years. So I said, look, God, if this is what you want, you're going to have to reveal it to me by way of smashing me over the head. So by December of was it 1989, I got a letter from Aaron saying, you, you might not want to visit me after you read this and you might not want to be my friend anymore. But I decided I've got to be honest with you and tell you that I'm developing feelings for you. And I know you said you just wanted it to be platonic. He said, normally a man in my position would drink you like a well till you're dry. But he said, I can't do that to you. I just see you as this fragile porcelain doll that might break with the gentlest of touches. And I don't want to hurt you. So if you don't visit me next weekend, I'll understand why. Well, I showed up in the visiting room. And my face was bright red and I was trembling and I said, I'm having feelings for you, too. So we discussed it. A lot was said. But I, you know, I concluded that, you know, I just can't wait another 10 years. I've already waited so long to be a wife and a mother. But I said I would pray about it and think about it. So. As I continued seeking the scripture, what really stood out to me was that God wanted me to give up my selfish, temporal, visible 
earthly desires for his eternal, invisible, heavenly desires. And that really struck me at a deep level. And, you know, I, I knew that marriage was definitely my desire. It was totally the desire of my heart. But then again, the Bible said, he will give you the desires of your heart. So I was grappling with this whole thing. And another thing that stood out to me in the Old Testament was the theme of idolatry. And at first I was like really judgmental and self-righteous toward the Israelites worshiping these statues over God. It was like, how stupid is that? But the more I thought about it and the more I progressed, the more I realized that anything we put before God, even if it's a good thing like marriage, can be an idol because God wants to be number one. He's a jealous God. And so I thought, well, maybe God's testing me like he tested Abraham to give up his son that God had promised him. And the thought was unthinkable, but I thought, well, maybe maybe God just wants me to be willing and show in real life that I'm willing to be single if that's his will for me. So I had a new pastor named Brother Malin, who was my all-time favorite pastor. He was very Christ-like and very very fatherly. And I made an appointment with him because the Bible says there's safety in a multitude of counsel. So I met with him and I explained to him everything I just explained to you. And I said, would God really be telling me to do that? And he had this sweet twinkling sparkle in his eye. And he said softly, you know, it might not end in marriage. And so he was, you know, more or less agreeing. Yeah, I think you're hearing God in this. Which surprised me. I didn't expect him to say that. I thought I'd get off the hook. But I was having very strong feelings for Aaron. So the next morning, I wrote a brief letter to Aaron, um, confirming to him that I would like to be more than friends as we had discussed previously. The next morning, I woke up with this unexpected, overwhelming, powerful joy like I had never felt. And for the next 10 days, I just had an overwhelming amount of joy and sometimes crying as God was taking me through deep inner healing as only he can do. And I went, I would go from laughing hilariously to crying because the, the power of his presence was just so strong as I had never felt it. And I just couldn't contain it. And so my mother saw this crazy girl of hers laughing and crying. And she said, Brenda, what is wrong with you? Do you need to see a psychologist? I said, no, mom, it's so beautiful. Can't you see it? I said, God is my psychologist. He's healing me. He's just overwhelming me with his presence. And during that 10 days, he gave me the treasures of heaven. He gave me deep wisdom and understanding of how he works and how He's a God of love and that the love is more powerful than any other force in the universe. And I understood human nature as I never did before and what was inside people's hearts. And I realized that everybody's been hurt because humans aren't perfect. The only perfect person is Jesus. And so as we grow, no matter what family we're from, we grow up with defense mechanisms to guard against these hurts. You know, whether it's a defense mechanism of anger 
or depression or drugs and alcohol or any anything that is against God's word, it becomes this defense mechanism to keep people from hurting us. And so God showed me that his unconditional love was the solution to all that, to break through the barriers of pain. And so um, my pastor, Brother Balin, had already made a follow-up appointment and, you know, I went in bubbling to him and, you know, some more of what happened during that 10 days was I was driving down the road past a field of corn and it was actually like bright green and vibrating. I could see the vibration of those living plants like through spiritual eyes as I had never seen a field of corn before. And I had this sudden new graciousness toward even other drivers on the highway instead of feeling angry when they would cut me off in a lane, I would just put out my hand like, go on, go ahead and usher them in. And it was just God's love overwhelming me and taking me to a deeper level into God's heart and mind. So as I shared all this with Brother Malin, he said, this is a work of the Holy Spirit. And I told him I just feel super saturated with God's presence. And so it was God's way of confirming and, and rewarding me for obeying him, even though what I did was difficult. So after 10 days, that heavy, wonderful feeling of God's presence faded away. And I woke up feeling like my usual human self. It was sort of like waking up, from surgery after they remove the morphine and all of a sudden the pain of your surgery hits. And I fell into this deep depression and I said, why should I get out of bed? Why should I get up and jog three miles and lift dumbbells? I'm going to be single for the next 10 years. What have I done? My God, what have I done? And I just wanted to die, and I asked God to take my life. And along the way, there was there was music, beautiful, beautiful Christian songs, what I call Christian rock, that carried me through those times. And the chorus of one of those songs, the song is called It's Gonna Be Worth It. And it went, it's gonna be worth it. It's gonna be worth it. And choruses like that would float through my mind in moments of discouragement and carry me through. Right after I became more than friends with him, Aaron's letters dwindled down from like two or three a week to one or two a month. And then sometimes two or three months would go by without a letter from him. And one time I walked down to the mailbox and once again it was empty. And the pain of loneliness was so deep in my heart that I just screamed as loud as I could. You know, I lived out in the country. There weren't many houses around. About 15 minutes later, a cop showed up at my house and said, is everything all right? Somebody reported that somebody was screaming. I was so embarrassed, but it just brought to reality how deep my pain had become and how much this thing had taken over my life. So I continued reading the Bible, you know, asking God, why are you doing this? Why do you want me to be miserable? Haven't I went through enough torment with still being single at age 25 or 26? And I heard his still small voice asking me, do you yearn for me the way you yearn for Aaron? It, it just blew me away. And I was like, no, I don't, Lord. I felt so righteous and good carving out an hour every morning to spend reading the Bible and talking with God. Like, like an obligation. Whereas 
when I looked at my feelings and thoughts about Aaron, it was just like, oh, oh, I've got to be with him, thinking about him all the time. And I realized that once again, there was an idol. Aaron had become an idol. And that day I said, God, I'm going to shift my passion and love to you instead of to a man. And that right there was the number one catalyst in my life that took me to a deeper level with God. I just pressed into his heart and mind and wanted to know him more and more and more. And it was still painful. And the pain of loneliness is a different type of pain. But, I mean, I don't know if you can compare pain, but it's a deep pain. It felt like a black black hole at times that I couldn't get out of. I just felt so isolated from humanity. So around January 1991, I went to visit Aaron at the prison. And in the visiting room, he told me, you know, our beliefs are too different and this would never work. And he broke up with me. And I felt shocked. I felt hurt. I felt confused because God had showed me this thing so real. And I just, I just kind of went numb. I could barely talk. And Aaron said softly, are you all right? Are you going to be all right? And I mumbled something like, yeah, I guess so. And I left and on my way home, I just felt so heavy hearted. And I was just talking to myself and God saying, why aren't I happy? I should be glad I'm free. I'm free. I don't have this thing, this sentence of singleness anymore. But yet, it had been such a strong commitment to God that I decided I would go ahead and date other men, but I would not marry any other man until that 10 years went by in case God had something in store, you know, and until he was free at least to know if it was really over. And so as time went by, I really had a desire to, returned to Oral Roberts University and major in New Testament literature. So once again, I sought Brother Malin's counsel. And by then he had become, you know, a lot like an earthly father as well as my pastor. And I said, shouldn't I pursue something more lucrative? Because, you know, there's no money in, in ministry studying the Bible. And he said, well, it's more important to develop yourself personally. And just trust God for the money. So it was a dream come true after seven years for me to return to Oral Roberts University in January of 92. And I was just so happy to be back on campus. And it just meant so much to me. Some of my best memories of my life were at Oral Roberts University. So it was now my fourth major, New Testament literature. And I was on the fast track. I was going to do a four-year study to get a Master of Divinity and Master of Christian Counseling. So there was Slenda Brenda, the child defender, um, had the world by the tail. I was proud to be in college, proud to be slender and looking like a model, proud to be going into ministry. And I figured I'd get my MRS degree while I was there. I thought that would be ideal, meeting a man in ministry rather than a man in prison. And, of course, I continued to struggle with loneliness and depression. I was still crying an hour or two every day. I would come home from my classes and just curl up and just cry and just talk to God just really struggling with depression because of all the loneliness and everything. But I had my future planned and I was in my prime. I ran the Tulsa run two years in a row, 15 K run 
jogging five miles a day to train for it. And um, then my mother was missing me and I was tight on money and she convinced me to come home when I had one semester left. She said she was in poor health and she needed me. And I realized after I got home, she didn't need me for her health. She needed me because she was missing me. So it was a choice I've always regretted. I never finished that BA. So of course I never got the Master of Divinity and Master of Christian Counseling. And, you know, kept thinking about that scripture, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord plans to help you and not to harm you. So I struck out on the degree. My life started falling apart. I was now carrying a lot of student loans. I had other financial setbacks with cars breaking down and people stealing from me as I was helping people in and out of prison. A lot of people taking advantage of me financially. And I was naive and didn't really know how to stand against it. So I was just getting more and more into despair, anger, sarcasm with God. Like, great, God. I had it all together. I was doing what you wanted me to do. You called me to ministry. I wanted to get her a master of divinity and master of Christian counseling. But no, you want me to get a doctorate of divine dirt in the face. And there it was. Okay, God, here we go. Have at it. Go ahead. What else do you want to go wrong in my life? It's going to be worth it. <laughs> it's going to be worth it. <laughs> the pain of, of loneliness was just unbearable sometimes. I felt like I had one foot in heaven and one foot on the earth. I just wanted to be with Jesus. Just everything on in life just felt so unfulfilling. As long as I was single and, you know, I wanted to be wholehearted for God. I was willing to be single, but I was kicking and screaming every foot of the way. I didn't want to be single, but I did want God's will. And there was nothing I feared more than turning my back on the will of God. So more and more, I was just drawing on the power of God because I didn't have it in me humanly. I was just feeling like a limp rag doll laying in a pod puddle, just not really making it emotionally even though spiritually I was growing in, in love with Jesus. And Galatians 2.20 talks about the reality of Jesus living in us. So more and more, as I was praying, I must decrease and you must increase. I give you my will. Please take over. I want your will. If you can use this vessel of clay and mud, it's going to have to be by your power because I don't have it in me. And I just faced a lot of despair and anger. And every time after I was sarcastic and angry toward God, I would always be quick to follow it up with an apology. God, I'm sorry. I want your will. I'm sorry I yelled at you, but it was really, I was struggling with my faith because it didn't feel like God was out ha having good plans for me. So as I was going through relational difficulties and financial difficulties, I gradually returned to my old eating habits, seeking out comfort food and desserts and gradually putting the weight back on and just not having the motivation to stay slender because I was just so discouraged. 
I was like, God, that doctorate of divine dirt in the face. Let's go. Let's go, God, whatever you want. And little by little, I realized it was a time of preparation. You know, it's easy to read in the Bible. Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years. Joseph was in prison for 11 years. And God was preparing them for a huge ministry. Even Jesus was 30 before he started his public ministry. So little by little, I began to understand that God was preparing me. And again, I was still kicking and screaming every foot of the way and not really enjoying this process of being taken into deeper and deeper humility. I didn't have it at all together. Many times my life was falling apart. And as I was earning my doctorate in divine dirt in the face, I was getting classes in singleness 101 childlessness 101 debt 101 asking for help 101 going to food banks 101 there was a time when i gave plasma so that i could get some toilet paper and kitty litter and i was rushing back to my riding the city bus 101 class after I was begging at a food bank and got coldly handed some food through the door because they were closing and they were angry that I came late. And my arm started bleeding where they had taken the plasma. And there I was climbing onto the bus with blood dripping everywhere and just feeling just so low, just so worthless. Like, yeah, God, you're going to use me in ministry. Yeah, this is great. This doctrine of divine dirt in the face is a blast, Lord. What happened to Slenda Brenda, the child defender, getting a master of divinity and a master of Christian counseling at Oral Roberts University? And then there was the carlessness class. And then with my ankle problems, more recently, it was wheelchair 101. That was humiliating. Custom-made ankle braces 101. And most recently, Bell's palsy 101. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. I realized that over time I wasn't the limp rag doll anymore laying in a puddle. Little by little, I was rising up to be a warrior with a backbone of steel. It wasn't fun and it wasn't easy. But each time I thought that I was following God's plans, it got smashed in half like that plaque. But I realized over a lot of time that in God's eternal perspective, I had far more than I would have if I had gotten what I wanted when I wanted it. Because I had wisdom and God's deep unconditional love and a deep relationship with him and all the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, forgiveness, gentleness, meekness, still struggling with the self-control, not perfect, still a vessel of clay, but it's true that when I'm weak, he's strong and the more I emptied myself of myself and became willing to be mud for him, the more his power filled me and worked through me and the more compassion I developed and understanding for other hurting people because we're all hurting because we've all been hurt. 
And little by little, all those defense mechanisms have come down. And I've realized, as our host Joshua talks about, that there's a lot of power in raw truth. We try to hide it. We try to put on the pretty face. Let me see beneath your beautiful. Let me see beneath your perfect. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. So another thing that God brought is that special soulmate. And that's another story, but I know it was worth it. I know it was worth it. So is it God's will for me to be in shape? For me to be married with children, to be educated and in ministry, yes, it's worth it. But in his way and in his time. I still think about his still small voice floating through my mind. You know? You'd have a very devoted husband if you could just wait another 10 years. And what I've realized is that maybe God allowed me to be overweight. And by human appearances, a failure because he was preserving me and preparing me for a very special soulmate. So now in 2022... I only want his plans, not mine. I've developed a firm faith and trust. I've told him very seriously, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. My faith is unshakable. My trust in God is complete. I have a deep, stubborn love like God has for me and for you. My life story is still unfolding in his grace, and it is to be continued. Thank you for listening. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I had to leave because I was crying in the first, like, five minutes. And I was ugly crying, too. (laughs) That was amazing. I, I so much wisdom, so just amazing to watch. I, I'm speechless. I I have to go write all of this down and pray about it, and then we'll have to do it again. Brenda, I thank you uh, for your courage and your vulnerability because it is you who now has set the the tone. For everyone else, the bar, the bar has been set. (laughs) My pleasure. When we first got the vision for this a couple years ago, um, you know, it was in the nature or it was we were looking for something similar to gratitude unfiltered, but female focused. And um, I got to tell you, the way that in my mind, speaking of God's will, the way my mind pictured this was not how God wanted it. And um, you you have showcased today <laughs> what God wanted. This was way better, and everything God wants is always better than what we want. This well, is, glory uh, to God. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to share my story, and like I said, it's to be continued. It's uh, yeah, it is, and you're and God's not and God's not done with you. Um, yeah. And we like, I mean, I think we both agree with this, that any time that you want to use this platform to share your heart, a message um, as God sees it, because, yeah, we see there is a ministry in you, too. And um, I I just I I, I really don't have anything to say, but thank you, because this is my pleasure. Thank you. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Brenda. I mean, thank you for Brenda, who she is, and the trials and tribulations that she's gone through. Um, I'm thankful for that because of the impact that she has and she's going to have on the world and everyone that sees this and everything that happens every 
day for the rest of her life and the way that you get to use her. We thank you for that. Thank you for her vulnerability. Thank you for the trials and tribulations that we all go through because there is a purpose for it. There is a meaning for it. And while we're not perfect in pursuing it, <laughs> your grace truly proves to be sufficient for us all. We thank you for that. Thank you, Lord. And I pray that everyone watching this is blessed and has their heart open to not just only your love, um, but everything that you are and want to be for us, Lord. We thank you for that. And thank you again for Brenda. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Brenda. We'll see you soon, okay? God bless you. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, folks, thank you so much. And thank you to Brenda. Thank you for everyone watching. Um, I got to tell you, I didn't know what to expect. And uh, Blown away. <laughs> I, yeah, blown away. Do you have anything wow. to say? I, it just, I feel like everything she said is, is something that we've thought. So I'm excited about all of the ears that get to hear that it's okay. Mm -hmm. And that it's hard. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Thank you again for your support. Thank you to everyone watching and listening. Let me know how they can do their own race or gratitude and culture. Oh, yeah. If you're interested and uh, whether you're a man and want to be a part of the Gratitude Unfiltered project or be a guest for Grace Unfiltered, be a guest host for Grace Unfiltered as a woman, um, all you have to do, just comment below, share, or you can email either of us, but my email is joshua at livemonaworldwide.org, or you can just go to the website right there, livemonaworldwide.org, and uh, comment if you would love to be a part of this. Because listen, for us, Brenda, the pulpit belongs to Brenda. The pulpit belongs to you, too. Um, this is part of our mission to redefine church. And, and we're not trying to destroy the church or anything like that. We just want to make room for the rest of us mm -hmm. that have been shunned from the church. Uh, our stories have not been welcomed, not being accepted in the church. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way or not, but I know that we have. And we want to put an end to that. So instead of like actually physically ripping down the walls of the church, we want to redefine it. So thank you all for being here. God bless you. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.